On this episode of AV Week, LG's got new eSport monitors, Microsoft Office 365 had a massive outage, and Avixa's got a diversity presentation call. All this and more on this episode of AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 476, sharing their stories. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry-leading technology backed by world-class support. And by Peerless AV, driving technology through innovation. This is AV Week, your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the commercial AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott, filling in for our friend, Mr. Albright. For Aviation.tv this week, I'm pleased to be joined by uh, three of my favorite people. First, we have Ifat Chaudhary. She's a bid manager at CDEC. How are you, ma'am? I'm really well. Thank you very much for having me on board this week. I'm so glad you're here. We, uh, we, we chat a lot on Twitter, but I don't think we've run into each other directly yet. Uh, so I'm really happy you're here. Then we have Mr. Brock McGinnis. He is the principal at Evitas. How are you, sir? Very well, and uh, and happy to be here with you, Matt. It's it's a nice change. We can tell Tim that. We'll go with nice change, <laughs> not a better change or a, nice. a a more appropriate change. Just a just a nice change. It's a nice change. I hope he listens to this so he hears it. But he shots fired. Yeah, of course, every day. Uh, that is my good friend Chrissy Spurlock. She is an AV specialist. How you doing, Chrissy? Doing good. Excited to be here. I am so glad everyone is here. Let's kick this story off. Uh, or sorry, this this show off with a story that comes to us from AV Network. <laughs> LG has unveiled some gaming monitors for esports. Uh, it, it's a commercial version of their LG Ultra Gear series, which is the number one ranked gaming monitor in the consumer market. If I, I wanted to start with you on this, esports is has been a huge buzzword uh, for quite a while. Uh, the last couple of years, you're seeing universities get into it. You're seeing, obviously, LG playing heavily into that vein. Where does where does esports fit into the pro AV space, into the commercial AV space? Is it just the arenas and kind of the the, the educational teams that have gone after esports, or is there a broader, uh, more more involved sector there? I think we're seeing a change this year across so much. Um, Pro AV, especially where people are at home and actually want to have the same experience because they can't get out to those venues. And certainly in the UK, we're seeing in terms of gaming monitors, um, I haven't seen the LG actually, but I have two children who are teenagers and absolutely love gaming. And they want to know that they've got the best monitors and have that best experience. So I actually can see that where Pro AV, it has been successful. It's, I think it's the home market that, that's going to see more of it because people have got more time to, uh, to engage and they want to have that quality of experience. Um, and I can actually, all the kids in, in our family, um, are, they spend about six, seven hours every evening. Um, the rest of us are asleep. They go to bed as I get up. And, uh, and that's across cousins and all ages. And they are all gaming at home all night. So it's, 
it's it's kind of uh, it's brought that experience. It's made it more accessible. So it'll be interesting to see the price points for for where LG are going. And um, but certainly, it, yeah, I think that's where where they're going here. Certainly. Very good, Brock. I I know from kind of some some previous conversations that you and I have had that you've been heavily involved in esports uh, over the last couple of years. When these first started in the you know kind of arena setting, it was right. rent out your local up here Cineplex, uh, you know theater for a, a, a birthday party, and and you can play Xbox or, or PS4 or three at the time on the big screen. That's right. That's kind of changed dramatically, I would assume. What is, how do people have to approach this differently when they start talking about the arena space for esports? Um, well, it doesn't matter if an arena is 20,000 seats or 2,000 seats or, or a cinema auditorium. Um, you're, uh, you're talking about multiple audiences. Uh, there's, an, you know, there's an in-person audience and there's an online audience. And there's also a future audience uh, because these are, are recorded to be uh, played back on demand. Technically, uh, you're dealing with home technology, uh, which is the gaming console itself. Um, you're marrying that in with audiovisual technology, which is, is taking all those images uh, and uh, you know, putting them on big screens within the venue. Um, and, and mixing that with, uh, with player microphones, uh, with commentator microphones. Um, and, and then on top of that, you're, um, you're adding a layer of broadcast technology because you're switching multiple cameras, multiple audio input sources. Um, you're doing it at 59.9. You're not doing it at 60 hertz. And Chrissy can probably talk to that technical element uh, better, than, uh, better than I can. We did, um, we built uh, our first 26 auditoria in, in 24 different uh, cinemas, uh, permanently installed systems that would accommodate 12 gamers. Um, and they were having, um, the, the particular uh, uh, cinema company was having a monthly $50,000 prize pool uh, tournaments. Um, if you won regionally you, uh, or locally, you got to go regional. If you went won regionally, you got to go nationally. And I'm not sure if there wasn't at one point a, a million dollar prize. And some of it was uh, first person shooter games, and some of it was actually esports. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they were playing uh, uh, Madden this and FIFA that. Um, and, and from a technical perspective, early in that in the evolution of it, it was fascinating. Um, because you had amateur users, you had occasional operators, which is all, not necessarily professionals that did this. Um, unlike the shows in the arenas where you're bringing in a broadcast crew, mm -hmm. uh, you're bringing in an AV crew, you're bringing in a lighting crew. It's a spectacular, um, event. Uh, but uh, in the cinemas, um, you know, you you have some folks that are kind of hired for the event locally. They're they're different ones. The systems have to be easy to operate. They have to be bulletproof, um, and uh, and they all have to be in sync <laughs> because there's a big image behind the players. The players are up on a stage, and this was one of the first technical things that came across. And Chrissy is smiling. I should let you start talking about this because, uh, but. 
Um, but the frame on that, uh, on that cinema screen had to be exactly the same frame that is on the player monitor because it is being reflected in the player monitor. And you cannot, uh, you know, you cannot distract these people. Uh, you know, as Ifat said, uh, uh, you know, her, her family are amateurs. These are professionals. They're, they're playing all day, every day, have reflexes the likes of which I've never seen. Um, uh, poor personal hygiene for the most part, but that's okay. Uh, and, uh, um, it, but, uh, you know, I, was your question, where does AV fit in this? Um, sure. Many of us uh, called our, call ourselves integrators. And this was one of the great, greatest integration uh, tasks we ever took on. Consumer technology, AV technology, broadcast technology. Oh, and I forgot. This was in a cinema auditorium, or 26 of them, uh, being broadcast over cinema, sound, and video, yeah. which is a whole different world. Which, yeah. So, um, so yeah, and it's, uh, it's way cool and way interesting. Um, I got to think these LG products are probably for studios, uh, you know, at, at colleges and universities where there, there may be 20 people each, you know, sitting at desks, because I, I think the largest one was only 38 inches. Um, yes. But I have someone at home who'd really like a 240 hertz, one millisecond refresh monitor. In case anybody at LG is listening. Yes. So that that's Brock McGinnis. <laughs> oh, you know, Chrissy, know me. I know they know you. Everyone knows you. Um, Chrissy, the, the thing that caught my eye with this is in, in, in my company, we, we do commercial and residential. And one of the first times that we brought true commercial gear into a residential environment was for a semi-pro gamer. And this is back eight, nine years ago. And trying to find, you know, the, the proper monitor for this kid so he could game, which at the time I thought was ridiculous. But trying to put an actual, uh, like, reference monitor in for him and, and get gigabit internet up to his room was just the, the oddest thing in the world for me. How do integrators that don't really play in this space, because this is not, to, to Brock's point, this is not just an offshoot anymore. This is its own vertical. This is its own thing. How do integrators that aren't used to having to deal with one millisecond refresh rates get into this and, and, and get the knowledge skill required to actually pull this off properly? That's a great question. And I think it starts with really reversing the original question from, you know, how does esports fit into pro AV and switch that around to say, how does pro AV, pro AV service the esports? It's going to be a bigger conversation as this, this whole switch in our society changes. Um, I think the first, the first thing though is research. Um, to your point, um, I actually still struggle to this day being in my old niche of uh, of really high-end stadium installs. You know, I'll have friends call and ask, what is, um, what, what do you recommend for this home system? What do you recommend for my man cave, she cave? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, and I, and I give them all this recommendation for things that are over, you know, 35 grand. And I have to think, hold on. <laughs> to go and do actual research because I don't have all of that off the top of my head. Um, so it's really figuring out what the customer needs are, which I know we've heard this before, but um, what 
used to work just doesn't work anymore in the in that market and we have to find out what is needed i was actually kind of dreaming about um the uh, tony stark house you know where he walks in and um he's got panels here and panels there and panels there and they're all connected to his server room downstairs and he can just look at his screen and talk to it and it brings up what he needs to see that is not too far away from from us and our industry right now so I would like to see um, some intentional market research uh, that's maybe a little bit more public to be and share that conversation and find out, you know, what people are looking for. Um, and we also need, as consumers, they also need to know what they're looking for. Um, niche people are hard to find who are willing to talk about what they need, what their needs are. So, uh, how are we going to reach that market? And um, I say that we start with a conversation like this. <laughs> Very good. All right, let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from Commercial Integrator. Microsoft restores services after a global outage. Uh, this happened late last week. Uh, if you weren't paying attention, your, your, your email was probably down, as was Teams, as was pretty much everything that sits on Office 365. We've seen this happen before. Zoom had some issues, uh, I think a month and a half ago, once school started to come back where they were really dealing with some issues. Brock, I want to, I want to start with you on this. When you start seeing and, and, and possibly dealt with um, office 365 going down, this is something where we've been part of that conversation with, with the it departments pushing our clients into the cloud and saying, Hey, you can use cloud for this. You don't need on-prem. You can do, you know, yada, yada, yada. And it can all be in the cloud and it'll, it'll be cheap. It'll save you resources and everything else. And then the unthinkable happens and Zoom goes down, Microsoft goes down. Any service is susceptible to go down. How do you then restart that conversation with people who all of a sudden get gun shy? Uh, Matt, you're asking about people being gun shy about the cloud because, because something went wrong. Um, so the, uh, I was out of my mind Monday night because both of my exchange server accounts wouldn't log into any of my Apple devices. They kept popping up asking me for authorization. I thought it was me. Um, it was, uh, it was awesome because all of us try and fix our own stuff. Uh, it is everyday common occurrence. Nobody died because they couldn't get their email for a few hours. Um, and it's no big whoop. And, and I think that you know, throughout the evolution of, of technology as we have become more and more dependent on it, we've also become quite inured to the, like the glitches. Things, sometimes stuff doesn't work. Sometimes the toilet doesn't flush and you have to get the plunger out. It's not, um, it's not a big deal. Mission critical is different. Uh, the power should not have gone off in a, in a stadium for a baseball playoff game. Uh, that's because somebody messed up. Uh, last week, uh, which also happened. And, you know, when when you have mission critical activities, you have backups for them. You have on-prem, you have different power, you have a second uh, data route. Um, but uh, for, uh, for our email, I got no spam for almost four and a half hours. It was awesome. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> Chrissy, it, how, do you, how do you leverage that conversation to remind clients that there is a reason why 
we, we try to, you know, give you multiple accesses and, and multiple points of failure. And we don't want to see clients completely rely on something maybe that's only cloud-based. We want to, you know, remind you that, hey, you know, like a backup, you want a cloud backup. You also kind of want an on-prem backup so you can work if something goes down. Is that a foregone conclusion that we don't need to have that conversation anymore? Oh, no. Uh, I think that we have to set expectations from the get-go. Um, I think that uh, anyone who expects a system, for one, you know, people don't understand the the intensity, sorry about the dogs, the intensity of the system they're working with. Um, these, these companies have massive uh, space with servers to deal with this type of service. So the fact that it goes down once in a while, it is, needs to be an expectation that people have. Um, I still have family members who um, don't back up their computers. They don't have an outside source of keeping their uh, things that they use day to day than their actual single unit. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that conversation needs to always take place. And um, I, I'm really glad, Brock, that you tail-ended that uh, response with the mission-critical elements of services like these. Um, my father was a field engineer for medical equipment, and I remember the changeover from when um, regular doctor review records were, you know, in person, and they were sitting there looking at an x-ray on a wall, and then he... Uh, got involved with the PAC systems. And so doctors were now able to view medical records from home on secure servers. And that's mission critical because people's lives are attached to that type of work. Um, so I, th I, 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 I don't think that it should just be for mission critical conversation just for mission critical events. Um, I, you know, for me, if uh, currently in my my search for employment, you know, I don't, if my email goes down, it's not the end of the world, but um, I do have a lot of my, uh, you know, resumes and reels and all the stuff that I have up in my cloud, but I also have it all. I literally have it right here on this hard drive as well. Um, and, but that's just me. That's my expectation. Um, so yeah, it, it, I definitely think it's still important to have that type of uh, conversation ahead of time. Yeah. Very good. If at, how do you, how do you set that proper expectation with your client? If they're, you know, fully bought into Teams, for example, or, or, or Zoom or, or any other, you know, cloud-based service, heck, IP cloud phones. Uh, how do you set that expectation properly to your client that, hey, we as the integrator, we're setting this up in the best case scenario. You're completely in the cloud because you want to be. And there are things beyond our control. How do you, how do you set that conversation properly? There are a few things. Uh, I think um, certainly one element when things were moving towards uh, fully cloud, um, we have, uh, you've probably heard people re refer to GDPR and that whole data protection argument. And there was so much resistance because people were nervous about the kind of information that was going to be in the cloud and who could access it and how secure. And there's still... Um, there is still, I think, a, a pretty decent proportion of people who, who feel that having something on a hard drive somewhere, even if it's then backed up in another city by some other hosting company or whatever, that is going to be more secure um, and, and that their data is going to be less prone to being hacked. So, you know, I've heard a lot of arguments around that. Um, 
and can see both sides of it. I suffered, not mission critical, nothing, nothing like you described, Chrissy, but um, my work is deadline uh, driven. So if we don't hit a deadline and we upload our tenders on a portal, the portal will close at that time. If you can't access and it goes down, which it did this week, um, and you can't get hold of the client and explain that, um, which I had to do this week for the first time, actually, in a long time. Um, you're, you're in a bit of a hard position because as an integrator, you want to inspire your end users, your customers, that you have a robust system in place and that you are, and that our information is secure. But if ours is falling down, you're then kind of struggling to, to impart that to a customer. You're thinking, well, hang on. I would feel that if I was a customer. So it, it's, it, you're absolutely right. It is about finding the right solution for that customer. A lot of our customers are education-based, so they have different rules around how they, where they hold their data and how it's stored and how it's protected and the different layers to that. Um, but there's, I think there's still a confidence issue. And actually, um, having a backup, we used to have a hard driver. And I remember it was somebody's job in the office to actually take the backup home. Yep. I'm showing my age. And um, <laughs> Brock, you might remember Bill and Ben, the flower pot men. So our, our two hard disks were called Bill and Ben. And one, got, one was put in to, to, to do the backup for that day. And the, the, the one for, that, for, the, for the day, the live one, was taken home off-site. Off-site. Were these mechanical tape drives? They were. And <laughs> so... You know, we've, we've come a long way from that, that, that kind of panic of, oh my God, we've got to take it off site because if there's a fire, that's it. We're, you know, the business will close. So um, we've come a long way, but I think, yeah, in terms of confidence and actually uh, assurance, when something like this happened and it happened on a global, I mean, Teams for me this week has been absolutely chaos. It was dropping. I think I, I counted five times in two minutes, it would just drop out. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to hardwire in because it just it just wasn't working, um, yeah. it wasn't stable, and I couldn't work like that. It, it just wasn't an option. So, um, yeah, if you lose something at the point where you're about to submit a tender, for me, that that's mission critical. Yeah. <laughs> that 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 affects our bottom bottom line because if you're, if we're not in the in the game, we're not we're not uh, you know that's that's income for us. Gosh, I used so, to love um, tape drives. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, just we've a come a long way. Just a comment on that. So there's a backup for that too, FF. Yeah. Uh, I, I submitted a tender um, on behalf of a client this week uh, that was due uh, Tuesday noon. And I submitted it at four o'clock Monday afternoon. That's <laughs> because, the backup. That, and that is the backup, is that I have learned yeah. in Mission Critical um, you need a belt, you need suspenders, you need duct tape, and you've always got this plan. But I tell you what, Brock, this week, um, we were aware of the issue um, hours before the deadline. Um, so I did, I alerted the customer and said, look, everything might be fine by the time the deadline comes around. We're ready to go now, but we can't, you know, we can't do it. So um, sometimes that's, if the outage happened on Monday at four, you would have... Wow. Uh, yeah, it would have been the same. So it happens and you're absolutely right. No one died. It's, um, but it's about trying to keep those communication channels open as well. 
Very good. All right, let's hit our last story of the day. This comes to us from Sound and Communications. Avixa has committed to accelerating diverse representation across stages and presentations. Uh, this is was was making a, a lot of uh, scuttlebutt on Twitter and, and a bunch of other things about this great call that Avixis put out. Uh, the specific quote from Rochelle is, we're calling on the entire AV industry to help us ensure that we have full representation of voices for Infocom 2021. If that, I, I want to start with you on this. This is something that I, I really like seeing. I, I like seeing the expanded call for more voices. And the the diversity part of it is is really important but i'm honestly just happy with the expanded call because i i feel that once we get more people from different backgrounds and different experiences it really changes that conversation what's your take on this as as someone who's been called out to to present you're welcome have i I, that's what I see on Twitter is that we're, we're trying to rope. Don't in, believe, so don't believe I'm everything adding to the fire. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm just, I'm just on Twitter to create storms. That's all. Um, for me, uh, diversity is, uh, it, it's an interesting one. So I've kind of been pulled into diversity conversations. Um, sometimes unknowingly, sometimes knowingly, um, for me, I think four human beings on a we're we're here four human beings we all have very different life experiences we live in different places well almost broken that but we maybe I'll play the age card there we're different ages <laughs> we're different you know we have different beliefs we have we've worked in different environments um, and so the four of us will have a huge amount of diversity to actually offer. The fact that three are white and I'm of colour makes absolutely no difference to me. And I, I'm pretty sure it makes no difference to you because actually what we can discuss and what we were discussing before we actually started recording were the kind of things that we've been doing and our interests and we were getting to know each other. So um, that's the beauty of being a human being. And I think the thing that gets to me slightly is when people think because I'm of colour, diversity must be my thing. And actually, what I will say to everybody is, if it's not everybody's thing, then we have an issue. It's everybody's thing. And it's until we stop seeing age, disability, sexual orientation, religious bias, whatever it is. Um, and I know it's impossible. You know, the, the human brain, we, you're making judgments. So um, I may be making a judgment around what's hanging behind you, Chrissy. But we had a discussion and we absolutely loved, you know, the, the, just the whole, that whole life experience is something to discuss and celebrate. And um, isn't that what, what being alive is about? I, I don't want to, I don't want a badge to say that I'm a different color. Unfortunately, we do have to speak about it because there are issues around fairness and inequality um, where we have seen certain certain um, ethnic minorities, certain groups who may not be paid in the same way. They may not have the opportunities to rise in their organizations in the same way. They may not have a voice in the same way. Um, and for me, the way to tackle that is actually to bring people together regardless. So I absolutely applaud um, the call 
Um, I think David uh, Lebuskus put a tweet out that I that actually really um, I did I I did retweet it and I genuinely meant what I said. He actually um, echoed um, Rochelle's call and said, um, "Bring your story, um, and we'll bring the lights." And to me, and uh, I think I said something along the lines of that, that was the nicest hand-holding moment where somebody's actually saying, you know, I'm going to put my hand out and hold your hand and, and take you. Because there are stories of discrimination that need to be shared. And until people are comfortable that um, to share those stories, to challenge those mindsets, I guess, um, that's why we have the issue. And that's why it is a positive, it is a good thing. But there are so many things we have in common and so many things that we can celebrate. And this isn't, to me, I, I hope I haven't interpreted this wrong because I don't represent a Vixer at all. But to me, my interpretation was this is a call for anybody to, to participate. It's not necessarily a call for people who feel diverse. We're all diverse. Um, until I don't have a pulse, I will be diverse and so will everybody else. Yeah, so, um, you know, we all have our experiences, though. I'll get off my soapbox and let someone else speak. Sorry. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> you and on that note, we're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's a wrap. <laughs> it's a wrap. Brock, let me, let me come to you next. The, one of the things that I, I kind of pulled out of this, and, and specifically out of the, the tweet that Ifat was referencing from, from Dave Lebuskis, was the, you know, the side of, you know, Come and, and, and we'll bring the lights. And it, it brought me to kind of the, the the rising tide raises all ships and the the number of people that are willing to kind of put out a hand and, and, and pull someone along. And you're kind of one of those people who I've seen do countless times that. Um, heck, you've done it with me. Where it's, hey, let me, let me, come with me. Come, let's go meet these this, this group of people over here. And... I think that's a, a really big aspect of this is a lot of us know a lot of people that have some really good opinions and, and some really good history and background. And it takes sometimes someone to draw them along. A am I reading that wrong? Um, no. So uh, I, I, I think that that was actually very eloquently uh, put Matt. Um, I, mm -hmm. uh, I'm the, I'm the problem, right? So I come from the generation that's the problem. Uh, I come from the sex that's the problem. I come from the uh, gender perspective that's the problem. Um, the, the, this this uh, desire to diversify um, uh, or add diversity, I'm, I'm the one that's being, I, I'm, I'm the one that there are too many of. However, um, I think Avixa has come a long way already. Uh, I'm really pleased. Uh, you know, there was once upon a time when everybody at the meeting looked like me. And, uh, and now that's not the case at all. But there's a fence that we need to jump over yet. There's a huge difference between diversity and inclusion. And inclusion is, is taking somebody's hand and helping them across the fence, uh, or going to their side of the fence, um, and uh, and being with them there. 
we cannot stand here as an industry and say, we have open doors, please come in. Because that doesn't work. Nobody likes to go where people are different than they are. It's, it's intimidating and it's not natural. So, um, so we, have to, we have to find people and actively, intentionally include them in, what it, in, in our industry, uh, which is also their industry. Um, and, and I'm hoping that um, a Vixic kind of casting a spotlight on this and saying, hey, we're gonna do a really better job of making sure that we, we include everybody um, uh, and every perspective. And it, it's a little different than what you said, Eva, um, because there's, nobody wants to be a token. Uh, nobody wants to be identified. I mean, gosh, you're not your surname. You're not the color of your skin. You're not your religion. You're you. Um, and nobody wants to be identified that. And, it, and it's actually kind of one of those, and I, I hate to get political about white privilege and stuff because because um, I'm that guy, but that's a perspective from somebody on the inside looking at somebody on the outside. Our objective in this diversity uh, um, uh, thing that we're trying to accomplish is not to have an inside and an outside, um, but uh, to ensure that we are going out of our way uh, to uh, engage and either knock that fence down or make darn sure that we're hopping over it or helping other people over it. Um, my two cents. Yeah, very good. Chrissy, let me, let me wrap this up with you. Um, the, the big pull I get from all of this, from what I've said, from what Brock said, from what I rambled on about, is that we're just trying to continue to expand the industry. We're trying to take it advantage of the the vast experiences that we all have and I, I know the first time I met you it was at a gosh I don't even think I was supposed to be there um, but it was a it was a, a bunch was it of women trainers. in anything no I was at that one too though <laughs> but I fit right in because of my shoes Barb said I was fine the it, it was it was something that Chuck was doing and it was all educators and I happened to just kind of stumble in with someone. I, I don't remember who I came with. And you and I ended up kind of sitting together and, and chatting about something. And I don't remember what it was, but it was just, it was one of those moments where I was sitting kind of off to myself because I didn't know anybody other than Chuck and probably Jeremy. And you came over and, and we chatted and we had a great conversation and everybody went on with the day. But to me, this is all just about expanding that. And, and expanding the yeah. voices that are heard. What's the next step beyond that? Is there a next step beyond that? Well, you nailed it on the head and so did Brock about the inclusion word. Um, I think diversity has unfortunately turned into a buzzword. So there's these like tick marks that everybody thinks that they have to check off in order to be diverse. And it starts with a mindset, you know, um, in, in teaching, uh, one of my favorite things is to make sure that everybody in the class and in the room everywhere feels that they have a voice in what they're saying. And if they don't, you know, if I have a, a student who's quiet, I 
kind of figure out how to get them to talk like hey you've been here you've had this experience tell me more about whatever um so that's really key for for what we're trying to do here um the next step you know it's hard because this is going to be a slow moving growth slow moving train um we're we're asking people to step out of their comfort zones willingly um that's tough enough um but i think the I think Avix's approach is will pay off over time for sure. Um, I do think that we have to take an individual perspective change. Um, and that's really the next step. It's kind of the first step and the next step is um, thank you for putting this initiative forward, but how am I going to pull that into my personal experiences and, and include others? Um, for instance, I'm not, I'm not really keen on, on VR and AR. VR gives me a headache. However, it's a really important technology to be aware of. And I need to reach out myself and talk to my friends who, or, or people I don't even know and say, hey, you work in VR. You work in this world. Tell me about it. Um, tell me why I should care about it. And get that conversation started. Um, and then this idea of giving, bringing the lights, giving a stage. I would love it if, um, you know, we did like biographies of people, short little stories, how they got in the industry and post them somewhere on cards and just, and just see what it's about. Um, I love getting asked that question because I originally was going to be in broadcast TV. How the earth did I get into pro AV? Who knows? Um, and uh, it's just giving, extending that time of, of, allowing them allowing everyone to share their story and the other the other thought that just came was um giving training people to to bring that story to a to a lesson like for instance i started out in broadcast tv right how did i get into pro av that's there's a lesson there there's a lesson in stepping out and learning a new technology. There's a lesson in the conversation we were having about the cloud. Um, you know, there's lots of things to learn there. And again, if people aren't naturally inclusive or they're not naturally interested in learning, that's going to be a feat. Um, but yeah, I would say that's kind of a short version of my thoughts on that. That's fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to leave it there as I've run way over time and you can blame Tim. But... <laughs> That's what happens when he puts me in charge. All right. If that, thank you so much uh, for joining us. If people want to connect with you, learn more about CDIC, where can they do that? Um, they can find me on Twitter at IFSI, I-F-F-S-I. Um, I'm normally in the middle of a tweet storm. And uh, the company is CDEC. That's cdec.co.uk. We're based just outside London. Excellent. Thank you again, Mr. McGinnis. Thank you for joining us as well. If people want to connect with you, learn more about Avatas, where can they do that? Uh, I'm Brock at Avatas.com and Avatas is A-V-I-T-A-A-S. Uh, some letters you may recognize and uh, you'll find me on Twitter, Brock McGinnis, um, quite regularly uh, uh, trolling along with if out there. <laughs> I was going to say pontificating, but, but trolling works too. I did enough pon pontificating today. This was a very philosophical episode, Matt. I, I like to get into deep, deep thoughts. The, yeah. uh, Chrissy, thank you so much for joining us as well. If people want to connect with you, where can they do that? If you teach 101, 
Twitter or Facebook and hashtag where is Carl. Yeah, where is Carl? I love the where is Carl. Uh, thank you again, everyone, for joining. There's Carl. Uh, thank you again, everyone, for joining us. Hopefully you didn't hear too much of the Paw Patrol from my kids in the other room. Uh, if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott, usually chirping at Tim or you know, random other people, uh, Kev Talbert specifically over his tight pants. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of the other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of AV Week.